0: Welcome back to the Host Dispatch, and happy National Poetry Month! In this episode, we are celebrating National Poetry Month by reading a few poems and discussing how they serve as examples of how we individually find access or entry points into poems. The poems we discussed in this episode are Diving Into the Wreck by Adrienne Rich from her book Diving Into the Wreck, Poem for an Antique Korean Fishing Bobber by Dobby Gibson from Little Glass Planet. And Girls Respond Quickly to a Call from Up High by Sawako Nakayasu from her book, Some Girls Walk into the Country They Are From. We will provide links to all of these works in the show notes, so you can check these books out for yourself. And some great news is that for the entire month of April, we are offering 20% off of all poetry titles through our website, hostpublications.com. And as a special bonus, we are also handpicking a complimentary Host 88 poetry title to add to every order we fulfill all month long. We hope you enjoy this conversation about poetry. And as always, thanks for listening.
1: month, y'all. Yes. Happy Poetry
0: Month.
2: It's a very exciting month.
0: It is.
2: TS it was wrong. It's not the cruelest month.
0: Joe, you're already coming out of the gate with the deep cuts.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just, that's just one I carry around with me. April's the cruelest <laughs> month. I mean, you know, what? What? No, no.
0: I discovered that National Poetry Month was launched in april of 1996 and it seems like it was created as a way to keep teachers and students engaged with poetry mm-hmm. and of course publishers and booksellers and libraries and every everyone else in the book world joins in the celebration but uh i think poetry needs its own month unfortunately <laughs> to keep us uh, engaged with it you know do you guys agree that it's kind of like the stepchild of <laughs> writing genres
2: it's like the third person on a date <laughs> no it's not uh but it's very it, it, it's it's something that people think is unnecessary and is foofy and artsy and not going to get them anywhere et cetera, et cetera. and you know i think that if you draw attention to it the joy and pleasure of poetry can uh you know spread
0: yeah
1: i in my short stint as a library employee creating programs for poetry month really kind of reminded me how important poetry is for communities um for people that want to express themselves in different ways um Mm -hmm. we think that it's dead but it When presented with the opportunity to enjoy it and to write it, people really, it really speaks to them and speaks to us. I know it's hard to think that like poetry is a stepchild of genres of writing because especially the three of us, we're so just steeped in it. Um, It's not a day that goes by that we don't think and engage with poetry, Um, but that's not the reality for a lot of people.
2: Right.
0: Yeah, I think it's generally considered difficult to understand. And I do think that people approach it like they did in school when it was forced upon them in ways that are not particularly inviting a lot of the time. Those Mm -hmm. old classic poets of the canon who are difficult for young people to understand, increasingly difficult as time goes on, as that language, like the language of Keats, for example, becomes less and less accessible to us. It's almost like a riddle. Yeah. And so I do think that people think of poetry as like a riddle and there's like a right way to unlock it and solve it and that they just don't have the right training or tools to do that and it's frustrating. That's the sense that I get from talking to folks. You know, I write poetry, so I always get that. Oh, that's cool. I I don't understand poetry. I don't get it. It's not for me, you know. And I really want to help those people come to love it in some way, but it's hard to know how.
1: Can we time travel together and all speak about when we began to actually enjoy and connect with poetry? And I'm sure that there's been different times in each of our lives where like it clicked and then it became real and that could be like decades apart but i'm just so curious like when did poetry feel accessible and begin to mean something to each of you
2: well i you know i i remember poetry as a kid and uh you know the things i loved were little doggerel things <laughs> i eat my peas with honey i've done it all my life <laughs> it makes my peas taste funny but it keeps them on my knife (laughs) things like that obviously i remember that poem and it was fun it was fun to be able to remember it and the words kind of played off of each other and i thought that was cool and you know i was five six seven years old and later i got into kind of ballad poetry you know Mm -hmm. casey at the bat robert service type things the slaying of Dan McGrew, and uh, then, then Lewis Carroll, The Hunting of the Snark. And, you know, I just read little snippets of them and they were just fun. They were just fun. And they told a story, and as I say, the the language sounded cool and it bounced off of itself in ways that I didn't understand, but I enjoyed. And then when I was, Older, actually, not until, you know, gee, I was in my early 20s and uh, was going through my second set of undergraduate years that uh, I really fell in love with what we'd call more serious poetry, you know, philosophical issues and, you know, narrative poetry of a different type, which is Paradise Lost. And... I loved it. It told a story and it told it in this weird language and Mm. I liked it. And, you know, from there, I just, you know, grew to appreciate all kinds of different poetry.
0: Yeah. That initial kind of spark though had to do maybe with like language doing something completely different and unexpected. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That you could tell a story. You know, it started with me about telling stories, uh, Is mm-hmm. later on, it came to elliptically describing an emotion and things like that, or metaphor or something. I'll never forget. You know, one time we were reading a sonnet in a class, you know, a graduate class, and we read the sonnet, and I forget who it was by, you know, 16th century, 17th century guy or something like that. <laughs> and, uh, he said, on the most basic level, the professor said, what is this poem about? And I said, well, it talks about a ship getting in a wreck on the sea. And he says, Joe, stop. It's about love. And I'm like, wait, no, you said the most basic. <laughs> we kind of we kind of <laughs> went back and forth there for a while. And, uh, you, you know, it's, it's where do you get in? What does it mean to you? How much time do you want to spend with it? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a problem that people have is they don't want to spend time with it. They they're used to reading things and it, you know, the the meaning being supposedly transparent, and uh, you don't have to wrestle with it. You know, nothing's hidden, nothing's ambiguous, and poetry doesn't play that game. And, and mm-hmm. that's one of the great things about poetry is it it, it shows you different shadings.
1: Yeah, I think as, as I geared up for this conversation, something that I've been doing as I've been reading poetry is reflecting on what it's doing to me (laughs) as, as, as I read it. And I'm playing, I'm wrestling and I'm having fun Mm -hmm. and I'm being challenged. Um, and it's really playful, but it takes time to be able to, to enjoy it. And for me personally, that's, That's what I love is I love like giggling through a poetry book Mm -hmm. or I love like discovering something within the work that helps me unlock things in my own life or in my own human experience. Um, But wrestling is such a good word to use to Mm -hmm. describe the experience of reading poetry.
0: Yeah, so I didn't read those poems for children as a child, as far as I can recall. Uh, Of course, I was homeschooled, so I didn't have the traditional curriculum. And I will say that I did find a lot of pleasure in reading the Bible, believe it or not, (laughs) um, especially the Psalms. I really enjoyed the Psalms from a pretty young age. I was, of course, told to read them, but... When I did, it was hard to understand. It was lyrical and musical, and there were images that were fascinating to me. There's a spiritual element to it that I carry over into the way I read poetry now. And so I really do think of that as, like, my most formative experience with poetry. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do remember in high school, I got my hands on Ariel by Sylvia Plath and... That was, it was like a feast. I just really wanted to fall into it and, I don't know, be overtaken by it. I didn't want to understand the poems. Not that they're the most cryptic poems out there, but I didn't always understand what the language was doing, and I loved that. So I think I may just have had, like, kind of a penchant for wanting not to understand what was going on like that felt like a really natural way to engage with language to me. Uh, But I do fully understand that that is that is the kind of hang up sometimes for people is like they really don't like that feeling and really want to know the specific meaning Um, but I think that's trained, you know, my, I really do. I think that's trained. Like you were talking about your high school teacher saying, no, it's about love. And that's just such a problem. I think is for any teacher to say, no, it's about this. That's just the wrong way to teach poetry. And you're definitely going to make kids feel alienated from poetry that way.
1: So are the Psalms supposed to be sang?
0: That's a good question.
2: I think they were originally supposed to be sung by david with a liar ah uh, but yes you know my religious training is uh kind of <laughs> and you know it is as i always say i was raised catholic and it was a sin to read the bible <laughs> you know i'm not sure i'm not sure but i know that they're they're beautifully strophic and uh again mm need to go into it uh, but some of the language depending on what translation you use you know if you use the king james bible i mean you're reading shakespeare because mm-hmm. it was done in the same period and it's just that incredible language and uh, if you can wrap your head around that language then uh, you know you've done something substantial and it's, you know some of them mm-hmm. are really really stunning the imagery is is unreal but uh but I'm not sure. Don't quote me.
0: Okay. It definitely feels like music. And like you said, it's in translation mm-hmm. uh, several times over. <laughs> it's not translated from one language to another. It's like several right. languages to get to English and it feels hypnotic, like you're supposed to be sort of hypnotized by it. So
2: Yeah, that's something that I like about some poetry is, is when it becomes like an incantation or something like that mm-hmm. and uh, you find something repetitive and it's like mm-hmm. you know there's a rhythm or a line comes back or even an image or a word comes back and it's like it comes back and visits you later in the poem in a different way or it's bringing back that part and uh, you know it's it's really cool
1: The reason I ask about the songs um, their musicality is because it seems like Joe's childhood poetry experience and yours have like a musical component to them and Mm -hmm. that in my childhood experience English is my second language so a lot of the what does it mean I was a very literal reader um, because it was just hard enough to get to English and understanding words on a very basic level Mm -hmm. but I loved and fell in love with at the very beginning with like the musicality. Mm-hmm. So I often, even in high school, never quite knew what it really meant in this Robert Frost poem, but yeah. I could understand and connect with poetry in a lot of different ways. Um, the sound, how yeah, it feels to read it out loud, the rhythm,
2: right, um, right.
1: how it sounds in your head. And I think that's something about poetry that everyone can enjoy or even just on a very basic level is what does poetry look like on a page mm-hmm. without you beginning to read it? Just like as an image, what does a poem look like? And, you know, I feel like other genres don't have that you know, unless it's experimental. So just from like a very basic level, like the sound of poetry is what kind of pulls us in at the very beginning. Mm.
0: Um, I agree.
1: Obviously, like roses are red, violets are blue, fill in the blank to whatever works for you. <laughs> um, you know, that that's a very early elementary introduction to poetry. But Lewis Carroll, like... Mm welcomed all of us in with these really playful poems. Yeah. Um I remember Alice in Wonderland, The Walrus and the Carpenter just absolutely delighted me. Um it's fun to to look back and and be like where did I get this twinkle in my eye for poetry?
2: Sure.
0: Should we dive into what we've brought today? Yes. Okay. So 2021 marks the 25th anniversary of National Poetry Month. Wow. And we just wanted to have a little mini celebration over here on our podcast and talk about the ways in which we personally read poetry, um, how we find access or entry points into poetry. Mm -hmm. We've already kind of talked about how... How that sort of developed for us as as younger folks. But yeah, we've each brought a poem to talk about. And I'm gonna start us off with Diving Into the Wreck by Adrian Rich. I'm gonna read this poem, and it is a little bit long, so get comfortable. (laughs) Um, So this is Diving into the Wreck by Adrian Rich. First, having read the book of myths. And loaded the camera and checked the edge of the knife blade. I put on the body armor of black rubber, the absurd flippers, the grave and awkward mask. I am having to do this not like Cousteau with his assiduous team aboard the sun flooded schooner, but here, alone. There is a ladder. The ladder is always there, hanging innocently close to the side of the schooner. We know what it is for, we who have used it. Otherwise, it is a piece of maritime floss, some sundry equipment. I go down, rung after rung, and still, the oxygen immerses me, the blue light, the clear atoms of our human air. I go down, my flippers cripple me. I crawl like an insect down the ladder and there is no one to tell me when the ocean will begin. First, the air is blue and then it is bluer and then green and then black. I am blacking out and yet my mask is powerful. It pumps my blood with power The sea is another story. The sea is not a question of power. I have to learn alone to turn my body without force in the deep element. And now it is easy to forget what I came for among so many who have always lived here, swaying their crenellated fans between the reefs. And besides, you breathe differently down here. I came to explore the wreck. The words are purposes. The words are maps. I came to see the damage that was done and the treasures that prevail. I stroke the beam of my lamp slowly along the flank of something more permanent than fish or weed. The thing I came for. The wreck and not the story of the wreck. The thing itself, and not the myth. The drowned face always staring toward the sun. The evidence of damage worn by salt and sway into this threadbare beauty. The ribs of the disaster curving their assertion among the tentative haunters. This is the place, and I am here. The mermaid whose dark hair streams black the merman in his armored body. We circle silently about the wreck. We dive into the hold. I am she. I am he. Whose drowned face sleeps with open eyes, whose breasts still bear the stress, whose silver, copper, vermeil cargo lies obscurely inside barrels, half-wedged and left to rot. We are the half destroyed instruments that once held to a course, the water eaten log, the fouled compass. We are, I am, you are, by cowardice or courage, the ones who find our way back to this scene, carrying a knife, a camera, a book of myths in which our names do not appear. I. I really love the sequence of it,
2: right? And it right.
0: feels, it feels like a story without a plot to me.
2: Yeah, it's it's, it's like I get the idea that something's going on. There's you're you're moving physically from point A to point B. You're moving mm-hmm. mentally from point A to point B, to point C and D, et cetera. But where? What are you doing? Why? What are you searching for and all those kind of things? Mm-hmm. What did you think you were going to find? It just raises questions that are fun to try to answer by going back into the poem.
0: Yes, I think it, it provides answers. I think that's what's mm-hmm. so intriguing about it and perhaps so accessible about it for people who maybe are new to poetry even would be that what's happening in the poem? Well, the title answers that you're diving into the wreck Mm -hmm. rung by rung. You start out this journey and you can track physically this speaker moving from air to water to deep sea to the wreck itself. And it even answers the questions of, well, what do they find there? And what are they looking for? Those questions are answered. Um, I came to explore the wreck Mm -hmm. And the thing I came for, the wreck and not the story of the wreck. And so it's giving you these answers that seem so simple on the surface, but they actually are just full of ambiguity and open up more, I would say, possibilities um, for your imagination to fill in what that actually means. And I certainly chose this poem to talk about because something that I didn't figure out till I was a little older, but that I have come to love about poetry and something that provides an access point for me is poetry that's actually teaching you how to read poems. Right. <laughs> it's talking about poetry. The wreck is the poem and she even calls it words, um, myth, right? where we are mm-hmm. very clearly dealing with the subject of poetry, but in such a dreamy metaphorical way, where there's not a one-to-one ratio, like, this is a metaphor for this. It almost seems that way at first, but it's, it's really not. It's just a metaphor that keeps layering itself and layering itself until you realize that, well, I mean, she says it. The words are purposes. The words are maps. I came to see the damage that was done and the treasures that prevail. And as much as this poem, I think, uplifts poetry itself and almost romanticizes the experience of diving into poetry as a Mm -hmm. reader it's not without its critique of the canon i would say and of the way that poetry does ostracize people our names aren't written in the book of myths the poem says and there's this like transformative quality of once the speaker reaches the wreck and becomes the mermaid And then the merman, I am he, I am she, we are all here. And it's just like, to me, there is not a solution to the riddle. There is not one particular meaning that you can place on it, but you can place a variety of different meanings on on it. And Mm -hmm. it works with the metaphor. And I think one way to look at it is that it's saying that here's a visual representation of what it's like to engage with poetry earnestly. You have to do it alone. You have to be willing to explore and not know what you're going to find. And there's going to be ambiguity and it can be the most lovely part of it. And also at the end, perhaps the most important part is that in my reading, poetry is for everyone and the people who came before us. Like the crenellated fans, the the vegetation down there, there's like an idea that those are like the souls of the dead poets that came before us. But then there's also this idea that the Book of Myths, I'm thinking of it as the canon. And like, that is not what poetry is. Um, poetry is what you find in the wreck. So, wow, I just gave you like a, <laughs> a deep reading, but I... <laughs> I don't know how else to go about explaining like what I find in this poem because it's so simple on the surface in so many ways. And I think it's really, really rich.
1: What a perfect poem for poetry month and for this podcast in particular, because it does all of those things that, that you've said, it teaches you how to read not only this poem, but poetry. Oh, it's so beautiful.
2: I like the way at the very beginning it's, it it, doesn't shy away from the idea of difficulty it lets you know that using your reading claire that uh that the poetry is going to be uh, awkward at first yeah. it's it's like uh where is it the uh the flippers the grave awkward mask i'm having to do this not like cousteau the assiduous team aboard the sun flooded schooner, but here alone. But it's 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 like I've got these flippers on, I've got to climb down <clears> this damn ladder and it's, yeah, yeah, it's hard. But you're discovering it on your own. You're discovering the the meaning, the depth, however you want to read things on your own with with tools. That, uh, that you've been given. Mm-hmm. And uh, the tools, I, I like to think of the things that go to the end of the poem that you were citing by cowardice or courage, the one who find our way back to this scene, carrying a knife, a camera, a book of myths in which our names do not appear. Mm-hmm. But it's like, that's an interesting stanza. I think, you know, Mm. we popped out of time, we've come back, we've gone back, and we're coming down with a camera this time. But wait, the image disappears, the image, Mm -hmm. you know, floats away. Uh, It's it's a poem that's so fun because it's not on the nose. Mm -hmm. You can't say, this is this, and this is that, and...
0: uh, Yeah, it's a metaphor for reading poetry is too reductive but i also think it's true you know right right (laughs) and that's what's great
2: yeah you know you could say you know and this is the great thing about poetry you could also say that this is this is the uh this is like going into your own psyche it's it's Mm -hmm. like uh there was one time there's a therapist i knew who said okay we're going to start therapy now we're going down into the cellar of your subconscious and uh Let me tell you, it's not going to be fun because you've never turned on the lights down here. And this kind of thing, you know, it's the same, you know, but where does poetry take you? It takes you inside yourself. Yeah. It takes you in relation to other people. It takes you to relation to things. Hmm. You know, how you read poetry is how you read life, basically. Wow.
0: I think it's so important that it takes place underwater and the poem starts above water and moves down there. And it's like, yes, you literally are entering into another element. Yeah. It's a different world and it's in another element. And you do need different tools to engage with it. Um I'm not going to be too reductive and try to say what those tools are, because I don't think that this poem is saying you need to be well read in this area of, you know, classic literature or you need to know this term or how symbols work in poetry. I don't think that's what the tools are. I think the tools are the loaded camera. You know, it's like I'm ready. I'm ready to see and to record my findings and to learn from it you know there's the knife blade is like i need protection here (laughs) um it is a little bit daunting when you look at that list of what is necessary and then it's hilarious the absurd flippers crack me up and how awkward that is because it can feel so awkward when you're first trying to like get yourself into the headspace of the language of poetry which can be so strange
2: because that's not what you do with flippers really right i don't scuba dive or anything like that but that's why you jump in the water you're not supposed to climb down the ladder with the flippers you kind of flip <laughs> into the water and splash but if you're climbing down the ladder it's tremendously awesome yeah and so this is like a person who they're figuring it out as they go along and it's hard.
0: Yeah, it's hard. I think that's that's also here where it's like, you're not Jack Cousteau and you don't have a team of people helping you. Your teachers, right. your fellow students, your friends, your mom, <laughs> right. they don't get to help you here. You have to do this alone. There is no one to tell me when the ocean will begin. It's an experience. And that's the last thing I'll say about this poem is that... The metaphor itself is showing how poetry isn't just reading words and trying to find the meaning behind them. It's meant to be an experience, like you were saying earlier, Anar, like what is happening in my body when when I'm reading and receiving language in these really unexpected new ways, which is what poetry does. So it's a it's a good little poem.
2: (laughs)
1: Yeah. Thank you.
2: It is. It is. Thank you so much, Claire. Adrian Rich rocks. I just get shivers when I read
0: Adrian Rich. Absolutely. Thank you guys.
2: I'll go next because my poem has to do with water, too.
0: Awesome.
2: Except my poem, it floats Mm. because it's a bobber, a fishing bobber. And my poem's by a uh, contemporary poet named Dobby Gibson. Dobby has published uh, about three, four books of poetry and uh you know he lives in minnesota he's a very thoughtful man has a family he writes very clearly but you know there's something about dobby's poetry that invites me into it in Mm -hmm. a way that uh that makes me enjoy poetry and that's why i brought along this poem this is a poem from his latest volume called little glass planet and uh I will read the poem that I chose. It's called Poem for an Antique Korean Fishing Bobber. Little Glass Planet, I like picking you up as if I'm holding my own thought, one blown molten with a puff of some craftsman's breath. Is it still inside you? You are a beautiful bauble. It's hard to imagine anyone hurling you into the sea. But eventually, we all have a job to do. I think of the early mornings and storm mornings you braved to find the village dinner. I don't remember carrying you home on the plane from Seoul. Crew dozing behind the cockpit door, autopilot engaged, what were they dreaming of? I don't even know what shore you washed up on. Busan, Inchon, Sanchuk. Are you glad we made you a home here so far from the sea? Is a question I won't ask, in case your answer is the one you don't want to give. I love how perfectly you fit in my hand, at first cold, and the way the morning looks through you, as green and cloudy as an unknown we no longer fear, but I wouldn't want to be held up to the sun either, not because I'm a monster, but because I, too, am translucent and trusting, and mistake both for the truth. Beneath our lives, there are sordid undulations and embraces brief and sweet, a nearly invisible line connecting us to the fleet With every breath worth saving, like a sip of air inside us, full of an old sea's grace. Or the ancient word hidden in our lungs, that once released back into the wild, will finally set us free. Ugh. Isn't that lovely? I'm like... I can read that poem. That poem could have been in Sanskrit. I don't care. You know, it resonates. The language resonates with my ears. I don't even need to think about meaning or anything mm-hmm. like that. It just, it's its so lovely. And that's one of the things that I enjoy about poetry, first off, is, uh, is that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But then there's a whole story and as i said you know i jokingly said i'll go next because uh this poem follows you know but this is a fishing bobber and it does the fishing bobber stays very much on the surface whereas in claire's poem you're diving into the deep Mm -hmm. and it's a different type of poem it's a different image but uh it dealt with the sea you know, and there's so much to say about this poem. It's a poem about an aesthetic object and how you react to the aesthetic object mm-hmm. and how it was created. It was created with a breath and that breath is inside you. And if we go the, it's about poetry route, then that's where poetry starts is it's the breath. <laughs> it's the word, but I think it's, very magical the way everything there's an inner and outer to this poem and there's a truth to this poem and i go one of the things that i do when i when i look at a poem is i go to the line that puzzles me the most Mm -hmm. and i say what the hell's going on here yeah and in this poem i go to the line that says are you glad we made you a home here so far from the sea is a question i won't ask in case your answer is the one you don't want to give that's like so twisted first of all you're talking to an aesthetic object (laughs) and uh you know i do it all the time
0: During the pandemic, we've all started talking to inanimate (laughs) objects, Joe. It's okay.
2: That's true. That's true. But uh, the the phrase, are you glad we made you a home so far from the sea, is a question I won't ask in case your answer is the one you don't want to give. Not the one I don't want to hear, but you don't want to give. Mm -hmm. And Mm. there's so much twisting around and mirroring in that of who who's speaking, who's listening and who who's desiring an answer and who's desiring. And later on we go down and we, we mentioned the big T word because I too am translucent and trusting and mistake both for truth. So mm-hmm. is that the answer I didn't want to hear? And I get to the end and it almost makes me sad Because the word is trapped. An ancient word hidden in our lungs that once released back into the wild will finally set us free.
0: I love those lines.
2: It's just so, I mean, there's so much fun going on in this poem. And it's, it's where do your ideas come from? How do you relate? How do you see things? You hold something in your hand. And it changes. It becomes warm. Then there's this strange, you know, you think it's the aside during the middle of the poem. The pilots, you know, they were on autopilot. What were they dreaming yeah. of? So good. But everybody has their dreams. And what have the pilots done? They've started the plane, which is like a bauble, it's like a, a bobber. Mm-hmm. It's floating through the air, and they've gone to sleep, and they're dreaming. And it's like they're in charge, but they're not in charge, and that's very much at the heart of this poem. And there's a wildness that wants to get out, and that is freedom, but it's trapped inside our lungs. And once you breathe it out, what does it do? It creates the beautiful object of the Korean fishing bobber. Mm. You know. That's why I like poetry, and that's why I really, really like Dobby Gibson's poetry. I could go on for days about this. It's just (laughs) so much fun. It
1: is. It's so good. Such a gorgeous poem. Thank you, Joe. That line that you read earlier, um, are you glad we made you a home here so far from the sea, is a question I won't ask in case your answer is the one you don't want to give. It just shook me to my core. Especially because here we have this object that isn't gonna lie to you. And so you're not gonna, Mm -hmm. you know, who do you do that to? Your most intimate, closest, Mm -hmm. trusting Mm -hmm. friends and family. Um, they don't lie to you, you know? And from the just the first two lines. I remember I started reading this last night. I read the first two lines. Little Glass Planet. I like picking you up and I was just like okay like this set the tone for how sweet and intimate this poem is gonna be Mm -hmm. um it's just so sweet
0: uh yes I have so many thoughts it's really hard for me to choose one and I think (laughs) that's what good poetry does to me is it it brings to the surface all of these thoughts and imaginations and ideas about what the poem is doing. And it doesn't give me one specific plot, but a yeah. poem like this that can use the kind of trite language of freedom, truth, and yet it's so, it's so dreamy and so layered and meditative yeah. and those mm-hmm. words aren't slapping you in the face like, freedom, bam. (laughs) We're not being lectured at. Someone isn't explaining something to us about freedom Mm -hmm. or truth. Those ideas are allowed to float in this poem with the correct amount of ambiguity and beauty that they hold within them. And I also love thinking about the entire poem is like a meditation and the speaker is holding the Korean fishing bobber in their hand the whole time Mm -hmm. and ideas about what that bobber is or what's inside of it it's changing throughout and it goes from the craftsman's breath that literally blew the glass into its shape to an ancient word hidden in our lungs that once released back into the wild will finally set us free and mm-hmm. somehow connecting that back to why it's important that the bobber is in a home where it wants to be because it's not just an object it's it's got a secret yeah, or a yeah. word inside of it or a breath inside of it that holds the potential for freedom wow this poem is hard to nail down it is it is
2: oh,
1: that's so beautiful and deeply unsettling and then It leaves us
0: with that. And then we can't shake it. We can't forget it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like a talisman, um, which leads me to the question, is Dobby Gibson a witch?
2: (laughs) He's not telling. Could be.
0: We'll have to have him on the show and ask him. Yeah. (laughs) Wow.
1: (sighs) Well, thank you for haunting us with this beautiful poem, Joe.
0: (laughs) Yes, Joe. Great choice.
1: All right, y'all. Y'all picked your authors, your poets, your pieces a little bit before I did. And so I wanted to bring an author and a poem that spans genres of poetry that we haven't explored today. Um, So for me, poetry, like it officially got its grip on me when I started working at Malvern Books in my early 20s. And I was a lover of poetry, big fan of Whitman and Vilka, but it wasn't until I started to explore the translated poetry section and explore contemporary authors that I was like, oh, it's on. This is real. <laughs> There's real poets with real faces and real mm. flesh hearing the same news I'm hearing and listening to the same music and watching the same films alive and breathing. And that just kind of ignited my passion. And very early on in that time, I discovered the genre that's girlesque, which is feminist poetry. It has like surreal elements. It's gross it's violent (laughs) it has a very punk feel totally um and just like as a woman millennial um I love punk (laughs) it's it's nice to like rebel Mm. as good as a girl I did air quotes there um as good as a girl or as good as a woman um just being type a and a perfectionist and um people-pleasing. It, it's nice and thrilling to read. Poetry you wouldn't expect coming from a woman or a girl. Um, and so that brings me to the work that I will be sharing with y'all today. Um, so last summer, Claire and I realized this author that I enjoyed their first book, uh, Sawaku Nakayasu, is also the translator for Chika Sagawa, who... Claire introduced me to an amazing writer. Mm-hmm. And Soaku recently published a book titled Some Girls Walk Into the Country They Are From through Wave Books. So Soaku is a translator, but there's a lot of really beautiful conversations about what translation is, mm-hmm. how it works. You'll hear like translation is collaboration. And I'll save all those beautiful morsels for Women in Translation Month, which will be this summer. Um, So this book does so much and all of these poems work so great together. Um, So it was really hard to pick a poem that was accessible to all. Mm -hmm. But what I really personally enjoy about this poem is that it was translated um, by Karen Anhui Lee. Um, so already we are seeing that like Sawaku Nekiasu is in this book is playing with the idea of being translated, despite being able to translate her own work. Um, so just having that in mind that there are two voices that worked to craft this poem. And then I love the way that the work looks on the page.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it Just
1: from like a glance, the way that it moves And then when you read it, the way that you breathe through it, the way that it dances, I love it. (laughs) So y'all introduced to us some elements of water, and I will bring some fire to balance (laughs) it out today. (laughs) Girls respond quickly to a call from up high. A long silk skirt billows out in all directions. This wind rose, a garden of cardinal points, singing against convention, southeast, northwest, southwest, northeast. Not the stars of north, south, east and west in a typical fashion. They unravel their long hair, sending each strand into a live stream of clouds. Fragrance widens under a hemline, as if nothing is out of the ordinary, except the girl up above is on fire, dancing or drowning. The girls in some, rising into and upward while burning, perfume a weight on the weave of the silken fabric of their own clothing. Flames sizzle over the plaza. Aromatic trees, the birds, the clouds smoking while levitating. The invisible elevator of a girl on fire in the midst of a disordered alphabet. I, J, G, D, B. I repeat. B, D, G, J, I. Yes, now I see. Upward in a long, thin line, all the way up, glory. There's a girl on fire, her soul intact. This is the way things are going to be.
0: I was really excited when I saw that you chose this poem, because I think it's one of my top favorites out of this whole book.
1: And the girls are doing something here that... I personally enjoy, in poetry, something that I look for as a lover of film is things that I cannot envision being done in film. Mm-hmm. Um, emotions that I have yet to hear through music or feel through music or through film. Um, just the idea of an enormous woman in the sky on fire <laughs> and women, girls down below hearing this call to rise up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, think is just really powerful moving image
0: it's so fragmentary and strange in a way and yet it's coming right out and saying those things Mm -hmm. like singing against convention was a little turn of phrase that I thought was oddly on the nose in a good way for this poem because the poem itself is so strange and moves so associatively that it's nice to get those little pieces of language that are like, hey, this is what's up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then the idea of the disordered alphabet, obviously playing with language here in a way that happens throughout the book, but it's the girl on fire in the midst of a disordered alphabet. And so to me, that's also just a lovely little snippet of like that's a way to read it is like that's what's happening here is like there's language. Language feels empty. How do we fill it with ourselves? And you have mm-hmm. this girl who is on fire. It's like the stakes are high, whatever it is, emotional <clears throat> stakes, most likely, psychological And she's in the midst of the alphabet. Like, she's what's, like, supercharging it with um, feelings.
1: (laughs) I think it's also important to note, as I mentioned, like, a lot of the poems in this book work together. And this is the beautiful thing about a poetry collection. Um, Mm -hmm. And the characters in these poems throughout the book are named after different letters of the alphabet. So if you bring in that knowledge, a disordered alphabet actually means like a group of disordered girls. Mm -hmm. And so throughout the book, you develop a relationship with specific letters. Um, And this is all, you know, in a grander, more challenging way to read poetry. It's that there's so many puzzle pieces that the poet will give you the tools that you need and train you and how to make the most out of a poem. Mm-hmm. Because by this point you're on page 52 for this poem. Um, you've developed a relationship as to like, what is girl B or what mm-hmm. is girl J like? Um, and we have some poems where so-and-so girl XYZ is eating or punching this other girl. Um, <laughs> and so it's it's really fun. But I thought this was a good poem that encompasses a lot of the elements that are working in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's weird and it's strange. And this is the best part is that like like poetry is challenging. And in some weird way, sometimes things just feel right, even though we don't quite understand and you just have to read and reread. And like take in an author, hear them speak. Um,
0: It's like a way of life.
2: (laughs) Right, right.
0: I agree. There's an atmosphere in this poem. And it's probably the most challenging poem of the three we we read today. And Mm -hmm. yet it creates a very distinct atmosphere. Yeah. And if you can just feel your way into it, I actually think that's kind of what the poem is urging us to do Mm -hmm. is to like be the girl on fire <laughs> or be the girl responding to that. And that's, that's just really cool.
2: Yeah, the turn, the surprise, as if nothing is out of the ordinary, except a girl up above is on mm-hmm. fire. I'm like, what? <laughs> She's on fire? I go back to my high school teacher. He says, what's the most basic thing about this poem? I said, there's a girl on fire. And he goes, no, this is blah. <laughs> And so the question is, to me, because it comes back, there's a girl on fire at the end. And what does it mean to be on fire? What does it mean? If (laughs) it's literal, it's a real mess. But metaphorically, what does it mean to be on fire? You're inspired, you're, you know, you're changing, you're combusting, you know, there are all these things going on, but I think that's the key and then dancing or drowning you don't drown in fire you drown in water and so things are being flipped around here and uh the poem is asking you to bring to the poem what you know and what Mm. you think what do you think when you think of fire and drowning you know how do you juxtapose those you know, there's a disorientation about this this poem that's from the very beginning through the alphabet that we talked about, the inversion of this alphabet, and, you know, maybe throughout the rest of the book, Anar says you can relate to these letters. But that's not the point. They're inverted. But also, these aren't the cardinal points. This isn't north, south, east, and west. It's southeast, northwest, southwest, northeast. It's like... We're a little bit kilter. We're, we're blended together. We're something different's going on here. So it, mm-hmm. it, there's a lot of invitation to go through the poem and go back and take, like I just did, take little sections of the poem and relate them to other sections of the poem that aren't really close. Mm-hmm. And uh, that fancy poem poetry word, I don't know what it is, but it's it's like you work with the parts and then you work with a whole and then all of a sudden you oh,
0: get metonymy and synecdoche. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And then
2: you get something and then you try to put your finger on it and it just slips away like a bubble. Yeah. But uh it's awesome. I love this poem.
0: There's an Alice in Wonderland quality to it as yeah. well to me it's not quite right. as lighthearted. although alice in wonderland is kind of dark so yeah. there's like this idea of like she ate a piece of the mushroom and now she's like a thousand feet tall except right. in this poem she's also on
2: fire yeah you're being taken out of the realm of what you think is the ordinary nothing is out of the ordinary except there's a girl on fire get the hose you know no that's not the answer maybe being on fire is a good
0: thing Anar, do you read The Girl on Fire as the call from on high?
1: I was just going to say that, yes. Yeah, I read read this as an empowering poem Mm. because I think about my community of women and hosting Ice Cream Social was a call for women writers to come together. And the energy in that room every month was a very very specific unique energy everyone would leave invigorated and full of love and seen Um, and so this call of a woman on fire even a woman that is dancing or a woman that is drowning is a powerful thing you always hear Mm -hmm. about like mothers having like mother strength when their child is in danger A woman is such an incredible being. A girl is a powerful, like girls run probably all of the economies in the world. Girls have a power and a lot of men, people, other women work really hard to oppress that. Mm -hmm. And so a call for women, even just disordered women, which I think is more powerful than organized women. Um. I'm really comforted with upward and a long thin line all the way up. Glory. There's a girl on fire. Her soul intact. This is the way things are going to be. It's empowering to us and it should scare everyone that's
0: not us. <laughs> totally.
2: Right. Because the disorder, it, 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 its it's only disorder if you're coming from the world of ordinary order. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's just like it's its own mystical, magical order that is going to be the way it's going to be. And it's something new and definitely energetic and light and not grounded the way we've been grounded for so long.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, When I started to read contemporary feminist poetry that was, you know, had this like punk tone to it, um, that's when I came into my own and was like, I can be who I truly am. And, you know, and I know that sounds obvious, but I grew up having to be sweet and extremely polite. Um, I was always in the way And it's nice to just be like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a hot mess, but that's also my power. And Mm
2: -hmm.
1: it's nice to know that a woman's body is a powerful thing after all of history being repressed. And so it's, it's, it's fun. Um, It's fun to just imagine the kind of destruction we could all do together. Um,
0: (laughs) I love her soul intact. And I love that that is part of her power is like her soul is intact and she's on fire. So there's this kind of all-consuming quality to the fire and it's catching as well.
1: Yeah, I wanted to bring in a wild card for y'all. Yeah,
0: you did. (laughs) (laughs) I love it though.
1: And I mean, I think that's what's so special about bookstores too, is that someone handed me these authors that kind of fuel my passion and introduce me to other authors there, I begin to understand um, where they're coming from. And so some of us are fortunate to have like really awesome high school teachers, but bookstore community is something that's really special. And Mm -hmm. now everyone's being vaccinated. Um, There's an end of the pandemic in sight. And I'm so excited to see what it does for, for literature and our community and small presses
2: yeah, it's, it's like not, oh, gee, I have to read this poem or something. But it's like, you have to read this poem. This is so cool. Look at this. Mm-hmm. Just look at this line. And remember this line and walk around with this for the rest of the day. And it's going to change the way you look at things.
0: We could go on forever. <laughs> we could. We could. <sighs> And like you said, somebody handed you these poets and they weren't trying to teach you about poetry. They were just trying to help you have a cool experience that they had and sharing it. And I think that's something that we are here to do today. And that's also what we want to do all the time. We just want to share the poems and the writings that um, light us on fire.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a bunch. It was fun talking to y'all. Yes, yeah, so fun. I had all kinds of silly things I was going to say, and I didn't get to say them, and that's fine. That's fine. We didn't need to hear, you know, if we'd started talking about conceptual poetry. I had my conceptual poetry joke all set up.
0: Oh, God. Let's hear um, it, though.
2: <laughs> okay. My conceptual poetry thing is the movie The Shiny. And when Shelley Duvall goes in and sees what Jack Nicholson's written, Instead of freaking out, she goes, this is
0: genius. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a good one, Joe. I love it.
2: Yeah, so, yeah, this was a lot of fun. Always fun talking to you guys.
0: It is always fun. We love talking with you too, Joe.